1: morning. Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 1 verses 46 through 56. You can find it at page 932 of your Pew Bible if you wish to follow along. First though, let us prepare our hearts with a moment of prayer. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, We may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors to abraham and to his descendants forever and mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our god shall stand forever
0: So if you happen to follow along the reading in your pew Bible, you may have noticed that it's not formatted in paragraph form, but it's center justified. That's, that's the text way of informing us this is a song. Through the generations of the church, we've called this song of Mary the Magnificat, and it's a song about what God does. And Mary sings it because she learns that she is with child. Learning that a child is on the way can cause you to think about the future with a different degree of discipline. It seems to have been that way for Mary. And so she sang. She sang this song of God's blessing in her life. God has looked with favor upon the lowliness of his servant, she sings. But her song is not just about her. She sings about a new world. He brings down the powerful from their thrones and lifts up the lowly, fills the hungry with good things and sends the rich away empty. She sings of how the love and mercy of God turn things on its head in our world. Mary sings, and and then Luke tells us THAT SHE WENT TO HER HOME. I FIND THAT A SURPRISING DETAIL IN THE STORY. I'LL TELL YOU WHY LATER. I'LL COME BACK TO THAT. BUT, but FIRST, LET'S DO A LITTLE BIBLE STUDY ON THIS SONG. THE CHRISTMAS STORY IS EVIDENTLY A MUSICAL. Read through Luke, and every time there's a significant development in the story, somebody bursts out in singing. It's like it's written for the Von Trapp family. Mary gets the music started with the Magnificat, and then Zechariah, not to be outdone. He spent the entire pregnancy of Elizabeth uh, in, in, in silence, but when his son John the Baptist is born, Zechariah sings, the tender mercy of God will break upon us. He will lead our feet in the paths of peace. The night that Jesus is born, all of heaven pushes through the sky in a shepherd field and sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. And then the concert concludes with the old man Simeon. When Jesus is taken to the temple, Simeon sings, now let thy servant depart in peace for I have seen your salvation. If you like Christmas carols, Luke is your guide. Here's what we've learned about this music, though. Luke didn't write it. Mary didn't invent it. These were old favorite songs. These were favorite hymns in Luke's congregation. And I imagine that when the story's being read and they got to the song, the reader didn't read it, but the whole congregation sang it. They knew it by heart. About 30 years ago, I was in divinity school, and it was MLK weekend, I remember, and Carol and I went to a worship service in a predominantly African-American congregation, and the preacher was preaching, and he was really good. He was a wise man, I remember that. But right in the middle of his sermon, all of a sudden, everybody in the congregation started singing. Um, which is not our custom. And, and so, I mean, everybody started singing, and, and then they stood up and they started singing. I stood up, but I didn't sing. I didn't know the song. I, I looked for a hymnal, but nobody else had hymnals, and there were no words on a screen anywhere. This was just coming from the heart, and they all knew it. God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, Thou who has brought us thus far on the way. It was lift every voice and sing. I'd never heard it before. James Weldon Johnson authored this poem in the 1900, and it was first sung by a choir of children, 500 voice strong. It was in Jacksonville, Florida. They were celebrating Abraham Lincoln's birthday. It was was an all-black school, and all the children sang this song. And from that, it became really an anthem in the African-American community, a song of hope in harsh times, it was sung in jail cells, and it was sung in sanctuaries before and after marches. It was sung on, sung on freedom bus rides, and it was sung in cemeteries. And in that New Haven church, it was sung from the heart. But as I looked around, I could tell when you sing a song like that, it's not just something of the moment. It comes carrying the history You see, you sing a song like that, you remember the others who have sung it. You remember the other times when it was sung, the other times that we've needed to remind ourselves that it is God who has brought us thus far on the way. Songs like this are thick with history. You know what I'm talking about. You have songs like that. When you sing a song like that, you never sing it alone. You sing it with everyone who has ever sung it and you hear their voices and you remember their courage. Mary sings like that. It's not just her voice. It's a whole chorus of saints that are singing this. Raymond Brown's a New Testament scholar, and he, he says he, he believes these songs were written in a Jewish Christian community known as the Anawim. The, the Anawim were the poor, the bypassed, the forgotten folks in society. They had no hope except for their hope in Jesus Christ. They had no salvation except for the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Jesus was their way out of no way and that's what they sang about. Against the forces of oppression, against the voices of belittlement, they sang of a dignity and hope that the mercy of God would turn things upside down. When the shooting in the Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, occurred. It happened during Obama's presidency and he went to the church and he spoke from that historic pulpit and he looked out at the faces of those who have been battered by the hatred of this nation and then he sang, he sang Amazing Grace. And when he did, it wasn't just his voice. And it wasn't just that everybody in the congregation started singing. That sanctuary was filled with voices of everyone who has known that grace has brought us safe thus far and grace will lead us home. It's a song thick with history. And that moment, that horrible yet hopeful moment was filled with other moments because no doubt the people in that church were grieving not only the violence of that week, but they carried with them the stories of their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents who had faced hatred and oppression. They sang through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. And the dangers, toils, and snares were real. And they bore names, and they often came in the dark of night, sometimes clad in bedsheets, often carried with ropes or knives or guns. And they sang because they knew the dangers, toils, and snares, but they also sang because they knew the grace that will lead us home. It's a song thick with history, like the Magnificat. And as you sing them, it's not just your own voice. You hear the voices of the suffering saints who have gone before, and you also hear their courage, and it is their courage, it is their courage that beats back the fear that controls the moment. It is their faith that gives us hope. Now, look, I know this is... A little abstract but the text is as well it interjects art in the midst of the story but I think it's there because we need songs like this we need them because you know what it is to be discouraged you you know what it is to be afraid You know what it is to be disappointed by those around you, to be disappointed by our leaders. You know the dangers that come when truth is ignored. You know the toils and snares that evolve when the poor are passed by. And you know that none of that is of God. And it can be discouraging. But I think we have texts like this to teach us Don't be discouraged. Just remember the long march of the saints and the songs that they have sung and the work that they have done to bring us toward that day when all of God's children are home. I think think Mary sings of that promised day when... The lowly are lifted up, and the hungry are fed, and the arrogant are are humbled. She sings of that day because when that kind of activity happens, it's always where God is found. I am confident of this, the song and the work of the church are connected, the song shapes our hearts and, and, and focuses our vision to recognize the work that we are called to be about in our own time. To use it in the language of, of our time, this song is about our mission. Village has always been a church of mission from our very first days. Can I tell you just a little bit of that story, just a little bit? We were founded in 1949 and in the early days of this church, if you spoke of mission, everybody here would have thought of mission overseas. That's the work that we did for more than a decade. We, all of our mission effort was international. As a matter of fact, Dr. Bob, our founding pastor, he spent six months as a temporary missionary in the Philippines. And when he returned home, he did a series of programs, a series of lectures on, on mission around the world. And it's recorded in our church history that 15,000 people came to those lectures. That's, that's like more than we have now. In 1960... Maitri Charbarut, a native of Thailand and a graduate of Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, he joined this staff as a mission fraternal worker. Do you know what that is? It's a missionary. We were not only sending missionaries overseas, overseas was sending missionaries to us that we might recognize the importance of that work internationally. In the earliest days of the church, if you said mission, everybody here assumed you were talking about work in another country, and you were. But then something happened, and we realized that's not enough. The civil rights struggle exploded in this community. And all of a sudden, we realized that the things that Mary was singing about were not just in distant lands, but were in our own zip codes. So mission became something that was more local. We didn't stop the international, we just realized it wasn't enough. And so in 1971, for the first time, Village formed what was called the Community Relations Committee, which then became the Community Concern Committee, and then it became the Mission Committee. And today we're all in on mission here in this city, through the Food Pantry and Front Porch Alliance and Signature Mission and and Habitat for Humanity and Operation Breakthrough. And I, I could go on because we realize, because of these songs, that we're not the church for our benefit alone. Our faith is not for our benefit alone. It must be for the good of our community. It must be for the good of the world. That is what our own songs teach us. But then something happened and we realized not even that is enough. We recognized that mission is not just the work of social justice as important as that is. more important maybe than ever before. But we realized the church itself was struggling. Several of you in recent weeks have emailed me links to articles that you found in the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, the Washington Post. I got one from the Atlanta Journal, USA Today. They're all articles that are citing the most recent research of the Pew Research Foundation that's well, in a nutshell, just reporting that the church is fragile these days. We're in a culture that is suspicious of people who go to church, suspicious of organized religion, suspicious of institutions of any kind. You know, when Village was founded 70 years ago, the assumption was everybody who moved to town was was going to go to church somewhere. But you can't assume that today. You're kind of outliers today. Here you are. A hundred years ago, the work of the church was to help start Christian communities in other lands. Now, in most of the nations where we as Presbyterians participated in that work of starting Christian communities in other lands, most of those nations have more Presbyterians now than we have here at home. Now, we began to realize We need to engage in work around the world, and we do that, and we need to engage in justice work in our own city, and we do that. We also realized our mission also includes the church herself. And so you, you helped launch the Covenant Network in our denomination, and a decade later you helped launch Next Church in our denomination. And then you launched Antioch as a second campus, and, and then you supported Our young adults Hannah Ratliff and Molly Ramsey who are in seminary right now and they'll be offer leadership to the next generation of the church who knows what our next calling will be but what we know is that we can't live as if our faith is to benefit us alone Mary didn't sing about just what God had done for her she sang about what God does for the world and that's our song She's saying of hope that rests in the saving work of God. And then, then Luke says she went to her home. I said I would come back to that. It's an odd detail to include in the story. It's really kind of striking she went to her home. This is what's striking about it. Where in the world in that day would an unwed, pregnant, teenage girl have a home? No, every time homes like this are mentioned, there's some guy's home. It would have made sense if it said she had gone to her dad's home, whoever he is. might have made sense to say she went to Joseph's home. It says she went to her, her home. So if I understand it, this is what I think Luke is telling us. I don't think he's trying to give us an address. I think he's telling us what the song is. The song is her home and the life that it describes. It's her home and it's ours. You see, we're home when the lowly are lifted up and the arrogant are right-sized. We are home when the hungry are fed. We are home when those who are trampled upon are treated with dignity. That's why it's important to know these songs because they teach us what home looks like and they help us find the way. You know, these are, these are confusing days, They're complicated days, painful days some of you, that's very personal because it's Christmas and you are missing someone you love and there is nothing harder than that. Or it's because there's sickness and you're putting up a brave front. You are. But you're scared. Or it's because things aren't right in your marriage and you don't know how to make it better and you're weary or it's because you're losing sleep worried about your kids or maybe it's personal in a different way because you're losing sleep worried about the country that you love and worried if we're gonna figure out what it is to do right and be right and choose the good. Or maybe you're worried because you trust the scientists about the planet. And you hear the stories, the constant stories of flooding in Missouri or fires in California or hurricanes that wipe out communities in Florida or the Carolinas or Houston. And it unnerves you. These are stressful times. And, and some will tell you, you know, just take a vacation. Find the right entertainment. You'll, you'll be all right. You just need an attitude adjustment. Some, some, some will tell you that a good 401K will solve everything. Some will tell you, curate the person you want to be online, and that'll, make you, that'll help you get through. But we need something deeper than that. Because this season's not about lights and chocolates and checking the list twice. It's about finding our way home. It's not an address. It's a life lived right. And in a poetic way, what we need is to learn some songs that nobody sings by themselves, to learn the songs that are thick with history like the Magnificat because when we sing those, it's never just our voice. We sing them with the suffering saints who have gone before, and it is, it is not only their voice but their courage that we are reminded of and their courage. It gives us hope. It grounds us. As people of God, we got a lot of work to do. Our responsibilities, our calling, it's not small. So we need to sing the songs the saints have handed down to us, those songs thick with history because they've been sung in the darkest hours and they've helped people stand tall. They have been sung in the most painful places and they have brought comfort. They have been sung when people have felt that everything was lost and they have directed our way home. That's what it's about. The season's not about lights and chocolates and checking the list twice. It's about finding our way home.